When we uh, started the plant, there was great excitement and great fear and trepidation. Because when we started the plant, we said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to get people on mission for the gospel. We are not going to create just a worship service. Will we get together on Sundays and worship? Of course we will, because that's what it says in Scripture. You gather for worship, for encouragement, <clears throat> all these different things. But what we also said was, is we want to equip people to do two things. What are they? What's the first one? To know him. All right? Everyone's sleeping today, right? Come on. Wake up. To know him, and then what? Make him known. You see, there's a big tension in evangelicalism. And let's just put it on the line. We want to know Jesus, right? We want to be that, that song that we can just sing about. It's all about me when it's really all about him, right? But it's more than that. It doesn't stop with us. The true form of Christianity is that we go out and we make Christ known in every way possible. In some ways it's little, in some ways it's bigger. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to see the church in action. Let me give you a little example. Right now, I don't know if any of you have heard on Star 99, it's called this thing that's called Jesus Loves Jersey. Anyone hear something, this thing that's called Jesus Loves Jersey? All right. Right now, there's this huge campaign in all of New Jersey that we want Jersey to know that Jesus loves them for one week. And so for one week, every church in New Jersey is out to love Jersey because Jesus loves Jersey. Now, do I sound like I'm kind of mocking right now? Please say yes. All right, everyone say yes. All right, well, let me just tell you what happened. Now I'm gonna get a little mad. Phone's coming out of the pocket. So in this, I get a phone call, emails. Hey, Rob, how's it going, man? Heard things are going great at the plant. All right? Join us because Jesus loves Jersey. I got my staff together. I think Jeremy swore. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Jeremy would never swear. We got together as a staff and we said, what are we going to do with this Jesus loves Jersey? Because what they wanted churches to do was one week in 52 weeks was to serve their community and to walk around with t-shirts on that said, Jesus loves Jersey. No, like Jersey strong, we're Jesus strong. Pow, pow, foie. You know when people score touchdowns, they go, ha. That's what they wanted us to do. We said, we love Jersey every week. Why would they do such a stupid thing? I mean, think about that. How easy is it to love your kids on their birthday? How easy is it to celebrate with your children when you're on vacation? It's planned. It's organized. It's perfect setting. But when you look at the Gospels, you see something about the community of the church that was all the time. And so what we have done as the plant is how are we training and equipping our community to love Jersey, to love the world, to love their neighbor, to love one another every single day of the year. And do you know what was the hardest part of this plant? 
is that all those people that came with us, that said, yeah, 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 yeah. And the moment we started doing it, they said, no. Do you know what our missions budget was for the first year of the plant? Some of you know this. We gave everyone, this little group of people, a Starbucks card for $75. And we said, go love your neighbor as yourself. Go meet your neighbors. Take them out to coffee. Do you know not once, not twice, not three times a lady, but a lot of times when people left the plant, which were a lot, they gave me back their Starbucks cards with $75 on it. You see, this concept of Jesus, this concept of of being the church, is like Jesus loves Jersey. It's stinking fantasy camp. It's let's do it one week a year, like a project, so that we do our good religious services and move on. But here's what we're going to look at this morning in Scripture. We are going to look in the Scriptures at how the early church had modeled Jesus when they first began, and how we are to model Jesus in the year 2013 and beyond. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to pray as you, as you find it. Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry if I seem a little angry at that Jer- Jesus loves Jersey thing, but to me that's really sad because... Does Jesus only love Jersey in October? Does Jesus only love Jersey? Oh yeah, that's Jersey. Jesus loves Jersey all the time. That's why he's saying yes. Does Jesus love Jersey only when Hurricane Irene, Hurricane Sandy? Jesus loves Jersey all the time. Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I ask you for your word to bring clarity. God, I know many people are have the right spirit with this whole idea of Jesus loves Jersey. And I'm not mocking them. I'm mocking the concept that how is it that we have been the church for over 2,000 years and we still don't get it. God, I get frustrated with my kids when I'm driving down the road and their whole life all they have known is to wear their seatbelt and they still won't put it on. And yet you look at the church and you've seen that we have, done, we have not done things that we have known to do since the very beginning. And so Holy Spirit, allow your word to speak. I ask you that it wouldn't be my words, but the power of your spirit that lives within me. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Stop right there. Here's what happened. If you look at the first chapter of Acts, this is just after Jesus' crucifixion. After his crucifixion, he did what after three days? Rose from the dead. Come on. What did Jesus do after three days? Rose from the dead, right? That's why we're here, hopefully. So he rose from the dead after three days. 
And after three days, there was a period of time that he came to speak and finish his teachings with the disciples. He did not go to all the villages and keep doing what he did. He focused on training and equipping the disciples so that they would be the first apostles, the first sent ones into the world to reveal who he was. Jesus leaves. They all gather at, at, at Pentecost. Pentecost was a, was a Jewish uh, Jewish ceremony. We, we think of Pentecost just because of tongues and healings and all this stuff, but they actually gathered for one of their religious holidays. While they were gathered and they were praying and they were doing all the things that you would do on Pentecost, which was a week, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And he fell upon them in such a way that people were, wild things were happening. People were praying in other languages. People started having this this presence of God that, that, that manifested in fire and clouds. And all of a sudden, as, this, as they were meeting in this, this house, people were seeing and hearing this manifestation of God. And all of a sudden, all these people wanted to come and hear what was going on. I hear someone praying in my language. I, hear, I, I see something burning over the house. I see all of these great things. I want to know what it is. Because why? Because the Jewish people were always waiting for the Messiah to reveal himself in supernatural ways. So when you think about how Jesus came and Pentecost happened, for us it can be very foreign, but to the Jewish person, it was supposed to be that the Messiah was to appear. So next thing that happens is all this is going on, and Peter stands up in front of 3,000 people. Not in a church not in a school auditorium, not in an organized event, not in a concert setting where there was, you know, Chris Tomlin or Hillsong United rocking out and Billy Cram comes up. That wasn't Peter. Peter stood on the side of the road and probably some of his guys put together some hay and some boxes and said, go for it. And in one message, the people were so receptive that 3,000 people had come to Christ. He did not script it. He did not plan for it. He did not have notes, nor was he even probably holding the Holy Scriptures. He stood up and told the truth that opened the hearts and the minds to everyone who was present. And I would say the vast majority of them recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. And all of a sudden, the church is formed And they were young, in their infancy. And they gathered, it said, to hear the apostles' teachings. Now, how would the apostles have taught? They would have taught from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would have taught from that. But they would have also taught the lessons of Jesus. The healings, the deliverances, all these different things. That it was about grace and not works. And they would listen to these men speak and teach and preach. And they would eat together. And every time they ate together, they took the Lord's Supper. You see, for me, I struggle with why so many churches do do communion once a month. Here is why churches do communion once a month. It's because it goes back to the Reformation. All throughout church history, they did communion every single week until the Reformation. Because the Reformation was saying, we are not like them. Who was them? Catholics, right? 
Have any of you who are Catholic ever felt that pressure from the Christian evangelical church? Have you? Yes. Seriously. And yet, some of the most important aspects of the faith was that they gathered regularly to eat the Lord's Supper. And why would they eat the Lord's Supper? To do what? To remember. To remember first his death, his body was broken, and his blood was shed for the remission of sin, of all sin. You see, the only way that we have sin, our sin healed and cleansed is when we receive it. It's for all. It's just whether we receive it or not. And so every time they gathered, and it's one of the reasons why we here at the plant do communion every single week. Why? Because it's not about Protestantism or Catholicism or, or this or that. It's about who? Jesus. Jesus is the focus of our worship. And even though we are a Bible-believing, evangelical, charismatic church, all these things in one, the focus is Jesus. And I know many Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ that walk the faith better than most evangelicals. Amen? Good. Someone said it. I did. Never should we ever put down our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Catholic. Shame on you if you do. God will smite you. Ha <laughs> You can laugh. But in this, that's what they did. They gathered and the last thing that they did was what? They prayed. Everything Jesus taught them on was prayer. Everything was smothered and marinated in prayer. That's a beautiful word for prayer, marinated. I mean, think about that. There is a big difference between taking a steak and throwing it on a grill and a steak that has been marinating and seasoning. Right, Rich Gatto? Oh, yeah. When you put that steak on that's marinated, it's, it's new, it's alive, it's fresh. You see, everything that the early church did was marinated in prayer. And I'll say this, from day one at the plant, we have marinated everything in prayer and fasting. I think for me, that's probably been the most defining defining moment of what I've learned is the importance of prayer. Do you know what's so funny? I have a dog named Jake at home. Sue loves Jake. No, she doesn't. And my dog, and I'm saying this because I've been in such a place of spiritual just wanting Jesus that when I say, let's go pray, my dog runs to the place I pray and wants to lay there with me. I've never trained him. I'm saying, I'm going to pray. And he follows me to the place where I pray. It is such the coolest trick. It is so awesome. He doesn't even need a treat because he wants to be next to me. And you see, that's what prayer is, is when we pray, we're next to Jesus. Just like Jakey wants to be next to me. And when I pray, his, his body needs to be touching me. Prayer is like that with Christ, is that we put ourselves next to Christ. so that we can sit in him and rest in him 
and find favor and love and grace. You know, I love one, one of the things that I've heard is God does not have his favorites. He has his intimates. His intimates. God doesn't pick and choose. He has those who are intimate with him that he longs to use and work through. It's not by what you do, but who you are. But you see, this is all great that they gathered for worship and they gathered for communion and they marinated everything in prayer. There was more. Let's continue. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. What is awe? I think of awe as the, the belief, the realization in the unbelief. You ever not believe in something and something happens and you're just in awe? You're like, no way. It's like when your kid works for the, walks for the first time, it's like you read something in Scripture about Jesus and he can do it, but then when you see him really do it, you're like, wow. It's like your kid, you know your kid's going to walk one day, but when they do, you're like, no way. I knew I believed it, but I couldn't wrap my head around it. They were in awe of the miracles. And all the believers met together in one place, and here's the key. And they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That word saved is rescued is salvation. You see, when we talk about the lost, we talk about those people, right? They need Jesus. Jesus really needs Jersey. But you know what that word lost really means? When you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, it's basically of my child is lost in the woods. And if I do not find them, they will die. I mean, think about that parent of that child, of that autistic child who got lost in New York City. They have not found him. What do you think that parent is doing right now? They are not in church. They are out there running around New York City, finding where that boy is. And that's the same word that Jesus used, that God used, as he looked at a world that was broken, is, I'm going to go to them. But here's what they did and how they did it. They did it in community. They gathered in community. They served in community. They did things that were foreign to the Jewish people. You see, good Jewish people, what they would do is they would go to the temple and everything was about the temple, temple worship. You would hopefully serve the the poor or the lame on the way into the temple out of obligation. And if you were a really good Jewish person, you would give 10% to the temple. And what the temple was supposed to be doing was taking care of the poor and the oppressed and the sick. 
But at times they weren't. But you see, when I look at this whole idea of Acts chapter 2, I see who we are as the plant. I see that we are trying to begin to manifest Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 to Jersey. Because Jesus loves Jersey. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves Mawa and Wyckoff, Midland Park, Ridgewood, Hawthorne, all these areas. But one of the things that they did was, one, they did everything in community. It's why we have our missional communities. We gather on a regular basis in mid-sized groups to make the gospel tangible to our neighbors and local communities. And we gather to scatter. We gather to scatter. We gather within our groups to scatter. And so on a Sunday morning next week, people will be serving. Like last Sunday, people will be serving. This Friday night, there was a group of people that went to go cheer on Mawa football. This past Friday night, we had a group of people that went to the grill to go cheer on our very own Josh Pierce. And it wasn't just a bunch of Christians that were there, but there were people from the community that that aren't followers of Jesus, that people invited to just be part of their lives. And so everything we do is, yes, we gather in community to worship and to celebrate. That's what Sunday morning is. It's equipping and celebrating. But Monday through Saturday, we scatter to make Christ known. And why do we do this? We do this because of communion. What communion represents. Communion represents Jesus' body that is broken for us on the cross. And that on the cross that he fulfilled the Old Testament by shedding his blood. The mission that we are sent on is the great commission. You see, the mission we're on is not to build the church. The church is the vehicle of the mission of God. We are the church to manifest Christ to the world around us. And so we gather in community to live on mission. To reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's our mission. That's our mission. I'm going to share a little thing that I struggle with. Is that okay? I think you guys know all my struggles, right? I mean, I think I'm so transparent that it's scary. I think people leave sometimes because they're like, oh man, Rob shared way too much about himself this week. Dude's got issues. I remember one of the first times I ever preached one of my buddies who, who came to Christ to the plant and amazing stuff. I, I was crying one Sunday and he's never saw that before. I'm like, dude, where you been? I cry every stinking week. And he walked up and he gave me a hug. He's like, are you okay? What's going on in your life? I'm like, I'm fine. What's wrong with you? It's like, I'm just trying to help you. When we started the plant, we were so sensitive to not be a gimmick. Let's bring people in. 
Let's do all these things. And then one day, just kind of like hit them with where, where it hurts. Their wallets. Let's, let's talk about this mission on community and do all these things. But let's do it in a way that's non-manipulative. And for me, I was so terrified to come off as manipulating. That there are certain things that we talked about with the next part of what they did in Acts, which was giving. So we talked about financially supporting the church at all church meetings, or we would send home a letter, or we would talk about it in our missional communities, or this past spring I talked about it a couple times. And what we did was basically Omar and myself went out and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for me, it was so easy to do. I would go to friends and people and just say, hey, this is what we're starting. This is what it is. I don't want it to be a gimmick. I want to really be careful. And I'll never forget what Bill said. He's on our finance team. He goes, I don't know what you did, but you raised more money than I could have ever imagined. And we went out and we raised all this money so we could do what we're doing. But this past year, God said, you got to stop. You got to begin to act like Acts chapter 2. You've taught them to serve. You've taught them the mission. You have taught them the gospel. But you're leaving out an act of worship that's called giving. That's part of the church. And I'll be honest with you, I have wrestled with Jesus about this. Poor Jake thinks I'm having like convulsions or having like uh, freak out attacks as he's laying next to me and I'm praying to Jesus. He's like, what's wrong with you? But it really hit me that yes, we have been a blessing, Omar and myself, and even Jeremy went out and raised a bunch of money. But if we don't equip you to give as well, we're not the Acts 2 church. And it was funny because yesterday was my birthday. Don't say happy birthday or sing it. If you didn't Facebook me, well, I don't want it now. <laughs> and I said to Sue, I said, I feel like a failure. She goes, why? I said, I've tried to do everything perfect for, for our people. But I've left this out. I said, why am I so afraid? And of course he said, because you love them so much. You're like that parent that wants to protect them. But here's what I'm going to do today. I'm 41 years old. And I'm a big boy. 515, power 90X every morning. But I need, we need to, as a church, grow up. And I don't mean grow up in an immature way. I mean, we need to take that next step of faith together to see what God really wants to do in our area. I'll be very honest with you. Our weekly need is $6,300. Our weekly giving is $5,600. You can do the math. Now, the reason we have not made this a big deal is because of so much money that was raised. Right, Bill? Okay? I don't deal with finances, nor do you want me to. But as we look towards the future, 
God has huge plans for this church. Do you realize what's happening right here is because of 16 people that stayed committed to what God has called us to? And do you realize that right now that there are over 30 people that are not here that should be here, but they're doing other things and that's okay? In a short period of time, we went from 16 to about 180, 90 adults and over 60 kids that we minister to on a regular basis. And the way that we did it was not a dog and pony show. We did not build a building. We did not go out and spend all this money on these things that would attract people. We've done everything the opposite of the attractional model church. And some would say, to a fault. And I would say, forget you. Because I know, just like on Friday night, that Josh Pierce has been witnessing or just loving someone by the name of Ed and Maria. The same people that we showed up at their house when Hurricane Irene hit and went to go support him. And I sat at a booth with them and they talked about who this man was because of you. Not because of him. I mean, we all know Josh. But because of what Jesus has done in Josh. Kurt and Nicole, we have done a crazy thing. We have actually started a church plant residency in our church because we want to see the plant multiply. Do you know what most people would say to us? You need to wait to your five, six, a thousand, two thousand people. And you know what I would say is, why would I ever, why would I ever wait till five, six, seven, two thousand people when we were sent by a church who sent us with thirty-something people? doesn't make sense. I strongly believe that if we live in this Acts 2 church, that one, we marinate everything in prayer and we live on mission together and we share everything we have, you will see the kingdom of God made present in your backyard. That's what I live for. And I realize you're saying, oh, this is touchy because you're talking about money. Your money is not your own, it's God's. Everything you have is God's. And there's three people here right now, and this is, again, I'm going to be completely transparent because I am so sensitive to you all. I am so sensitive It's always you over mission. One, you have that person who's coming saying, what is he talking about? If you're here, all I want you to do is just listen. I'm not trying to scare you away. I'm just just trying to put us in the place that we're moving forward. Two, you have the new believers. I'm just gonna, I'm I'm sorry, I don't wanna just point you guys out. It's you two and a bunch of other people. Bunch of other people. People that have come in the faith, the Churchills, other people that are here because of of what we've been doing. I can look around and see others. People serving in the nursery right now are new believers. And they're saying, I don't know what this is. But we need to equip you. In fairness to you guys, in fairness to you who are new believers, we need to equip you. We need to teach you what does that mean. It's not about 10%. We give out of generosity. 
We give because of what Jesus has done for us, not because it's the law. You see, Jesus accomplished the law and fulfilled the law, and in Jesus, he gave generously, and we give generously too. Then you have those who left the church for a long time, and they've come back and said, I don't like the church because all they talk about is money. Well, this is the first time I've ever talked about money here like this in the church. Amen? Amen. That was a little too loud for me. Thank you. I've really failed. I'm a loser. And I've been cautious. Well, here's what it is today. So if you're here and you have struggled because of how other churches have handled finances, but you are receiving the blessings of the plant, today here's my challenge. Start today. Start and pray about it. And then for you who have come to church and you're Christians and you've been doing the Christian thing and, and you've gotten caught up in the world and, and you give but you don't, but you give but you don't, but you're here and you're partnering and you're leading in different ways, which I am so thankful for, I'm going to challenge you to pray about that next big step. Here's what Jesus is saying today. He wants to teach you to learn to give generously. Because you trust what you're giving to. Not just locally, but globally. 